Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. I'm Paul Smith and in this episode I'm joined not by one but four guests. They are not only researchers from the BBC's QI Quite Interesting comedy panel show, their award-winning weekly podcast No Such Thing as a Fish has over a million listeners and was voted as one of the 50 best podcasts of 2017 by Time magazine. They have their own TV show, live shows, and have now written The Book of the Year, some of the best facts from 2017. It's Dan Schreiber, James Harkin, Anna Chizinski, and Andrew Hunter-Murray, otherwise known as the QI Elves. Elves, welcome. Hi. Hi. You've brought along some of your objects that have inspired the book and are a clue to some of your favourite facts within the book. Dan, what are your sources for the facts? I read a lot of books. That wasn't very relevant to this book because by the time the books are published, the year is over that they're relevant to. So this had to be very newspaper and very internet-based. I am the one in the group who tends to get things wrong all the time and goes for the sort of quirky, mad stories. So 14 Times, I love. It's a magazine that collects together all the mysteries of the world, from the world of cryptozoology to ufology. There's a few science websites that I really like. What about notthewhitehouse.com? That's one of your favourite sources, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, man. OK, I tried to put a fact in this book this year. It was my favourite fact for years, and I've been peddling it around everywhere. And it's that in the Oval Office, and this was while Barack Obama was in, there, I read, was a trap door that was underneath his desk. So, should any terrorist break in and try to kill him, he presses a button, whoop, door opens, and he slides down to an underground bunker. Fantastic. Makes so much sense that you would have that. Turns out that I thought I'd read that on the whitehouse.org, but actually had read that on a website called notthewhitehouse.org, a White House parody site. And I only found that out as I was trying to get it into our book. So that's the kind of stuff I bring to the table. <laughs> I think podcast. we need to mention that enough, the White House tunnel, that Donald Trump eventually hears, thinks, I need to get one of those, gets one, and then it becomes true. Yes. Because I think he would. If he heard, he would definitely ask for one. I yeah. don't think we should encourage Donald Trump to go around randomly pressing buttons that he thinks might be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a great thing that was in Barack Obama's Oval Office, and I'd love to know if it's still in Trump's. The problem with the Secret Service that they have is they're not allowed into the Oval Office when the president closes the door. And they're so nervous because they think, where is he? So what they've done is, you'll see that there's always a massive round carpet in the Oval Office, uh, or an oval carpet, rather, in the Oval Office. <laughs> and underneath it are weight scales. So effectively, the Oval Office is a giant weighing scale and outside they can just see where he's walking so they know exactly his position every single moment that he's in there when the door's closed. That's interesting because Donald Trump is the most overweight president since Taft. Uh, He's by far the most overweight, so I don't know if those scales would work. And also, if he did have that shoot, he might get stuck in it because Taft famously got stuck in the bath. Oh, like Winnie the Pooh. This is in the book. I've seen I've seen a picture of Taft. So, yeah, he's quite a quite a hefty fellow. He's huge. Yeah. Anna, what qualifications do you need to become a fact finding elf? How did you become an elf? I became an elf by going to Edinburgh University to study history and then working in the Scottish Parliament for a while, working in Australia for a bit doing really disparate things. And then I heard about this internship at QI about seven years ago, probably now, and wrote off. And I was the only one who stuck around for it. Well, actually, there were two of us, me and my colleague Anne, who stuck around, and so they just had to employ us. But yeah, we've all come from different ways. One of the nice things about it is that as long as you're kind of curious and interested in stuff and have a sense of humour somewhere, then you'll be good at it. Yeah. Andy, what's the strike rate for reading versus finding good material? Because it seems like, you know, you could be searching forever, potentially, just to find that one gem. Yeah, it really varies. 
some days you'll find three great things in the course of an hour. and You think, oh my God, that's potentially three whole questions for the show or three whole podcast facts. And then other mornings you'll read and read and read and find nothing. So James, are these the best of or are these some of the ones that you thought, ah, we haven't really discussed those yet? I think these are the best of really. The way that we work is that we read all the newspapers and the websites and stuff and we put our best facts in a file and then when it came to the middle of the year we got through that file and we said, okay, which of these are good enough to get into the book? Yeah, But now we've got loads of facts that we haven't been able to get into the podcast so we've now got just two massive piles of information. And none of the stuff, it's interesting, none of the stuff in the podcast is in the book, I don't think. Not the, much. Very, very, t- like, none of it. like yeah. 5% tops, if if even that. Yeah. We, we made sure that it was still, okay, podcast is almost real playtime because you can look to William Taft or you can look as far back as you want in history. With this, um, it was often a bit too limiting because you were just dealing with the story and it's perfect for book form. But for a real big chat, you do end up just doing what we do anyway on the podcast. And, and it's mm-hmm. great to talk about history. And so that's where this couldn't go, where we could in the podcast. Mm. We did try and get some history in there, though, didn't we? Yeah. Like it was a big year in Jesus News. Yeah. It was a big year in... Um, <laughs> ancient uh, Rome. Ancient Rome is in there. Uh, the Ice Age is in there. Yeah. There are dinosaurs in there. Yeah. So Surprising amount of World War II news happened this year of like existing and grenades that were found that were unexploded and uh, war- <laughs> ships that were rebuilt that were set to sail but sunk three seconds after they went. Titanic yeah. news? The Titanic news <laughs> is that there was a park in China that decided to build a replica of the Titanic and the idea was they were going to sink it again and so the experience was come on board and freak out when it hits an iceberg <laughs> and sink and the relatives of the survivors and, and the non-survivors of the Titanic said we think that's a bit bad taste yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit off um, yeah. but it's Too soon. but it is funny and th- one of the the facts about the book is that a lot of the things that you've noted down are quite funny and Dan and Andy you've both got backgrounds in comedy yeah. um, do you think that's helped you sort the wheat from the chaff in terms of what's funny and what's not so Andy and I do performance comedy stuff but the reason when we started the podcast that we decided it was going to work from the get-go was James is James has been writing comedy effectively with QI for all yeah. this time Anna was the unknown quantity I'd say because um, mm. she she didn't, doesn't have a comedy background loose cannon, loose cannon <laughs> yeah. but as soon as we did the first episode... I thought we're going to regret this, but there's nothing we can do to get out of it. <laughs> but James and I walked away and went, ah, that's funny bones beyond anyone on the panel. Like, Anna, for us, has been the secret weapon from the get-go, so you didn't need the comedy writing at the beginning. I think where the comedy brain comes in, and I think the four of us do have this, is that you look at a news story and you look at the headline, but you think, actually, it's that little sentence underneath it, that's where the comedy is, and then that gives you the angle to start collating and curating similar stories that you bring together to form a wholly new, different angle approach to an article. When you hear a comedian do that sort of flip of a sentence where you go, whoa, that, whoa, great wording... I think that's how we approach looking for facts as well. Yeah. And it's weird. When you find something, it all leads on to something else. So this one actually isn't in the book. I wish we'd found a space for it. But it was that a burglary suspect, I think in California, was found hiding inside his own sofa. And (laughs) and I looked into it a bit. And then you you find that there was someone else who was found hiding between two... A mafia suspect who was found in a secret room that he built in his own house between two other rooms. And then you find all these people hiding in places. I was just thinking we could have done an article on people inside furniture because was there a driverless car? (laughs) Everyone got a bit freaked out in... I can't remember what city it was. Virginia? Virginia, because there was a car that was driving around with no driver. And actually, it turned out it was just someone disguising themselves as a car seat so hidden inside the car seat to see how people respond to driverless cars and the answer 
answer was they got a bit freaked out. <laughs> but it's all those links, I think, that makes this book different. And it's it's what adds the comedy to it, isn't it, Dan? It's like yeah. some of these little for this, see this. and Yeah, one of the things we did with the book was how do you do a book that's trying to cover the year but has to be handed in not at the end of the year, yeah. <laughs> uh, really difficult. And the answer was, well, actually, we're not trying to tell you the story of current events. What we're trying to tell you is underneath all of the big stories of Brexit and Trump, all this other amazing stuff was happening. Some of it funny, some of it incredibly interesting. And we just wanted to bottle it. And actually, there was enough within the gap of the year that we were covering that really gives you an idea of the amazingness of it. So then we put it into an A to Z format because then you lose all date references altogether. And as we were doing that, you get to Australia and you think, well, actually, one story doesn't define Australia this year. But Australia appears in about 30 different articles. So we start doing these cross-references that, you know, for sausages that were dropped out the, over the outback sea, you know, airdrops yeah. for. Well, for so instance, there was um, a new, uh, there was some news about a stick insect called the walking sausage. And we realised <laughs> that there were also sausages being dropped over the outback. So it was for flying sausages, see this, for walking sausages, see this. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, we should probably get on to the objects that oh, you've yeah. brought. Yeah. Is that an Oscars statuette that I see? Yes, this is an Oscars statuette. And he has another very successful career. (laughs) He's always showing off about it and bringing it along. I'm glad you've made time for us today. (laughs) It's about the Oscars mess up with La La Land being mistakenly named the best film at the Oscars. And we found out that La La Land was involved in an embarrassing awards mix-up, not only in the Oscars ceremony, but also the same film in Germany was being awarded the Golden Camera Award and they invited along Ryan Gosling and he said yes, he was going to come along to the ceremony. This was so exciting for everybody. (laughs) And he arrived and obviously he didn't want to be bothered on the red carpet so they put him in a private room and he didn't want to speak to anyone before the ceremony so they said, of course, Mr Gosling. And then at the moment that the film was given this award for being, you know, the best film released this year, out onto the stage walks a man who is a <laughs> chef from Munich called Ludwig, who is just so not Ryan Gosling. He, he doesn't look anything like Ryan Gosling, really. They'd been spoofed, and yet he got out and he got on stage and delivered a brief speech and then left, <laughs> with everyone wondering what the hell is going Why on. Why is there a guy dressed as a chef on stage? <laughs> what is Ryan doing? That's amazing. But yeah. the, my favourite thing about the La La Land was there was another mix-up on the same night, wasn't there? Yes, uh, do, do no, so it was at the goal, it, it was at the British Kebab Awards, which yeah. is very much the Kebab Oscars um, <laughs> of Britain. Of Britain, it's the Kebab Baftas. Yeah. And, um, Kebabtas. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, next year it will be called the Kebabtas, I bet. Um, but they, so the same night of the Oscars mix-up. At the British Kebab Awards, the wrong restaurant was briefly awarded the prize because there's a restaurant called Coz and there's another one called Kosk. And the staff from the wrong restaurant heard it and went up on stage to collect their award the same night. The fact that that could happen on the same night, that was just... (laughs) And also there was a nice little fact within that article, which I think it's under La La Land in the book, that the reason for the mix-up was because one of the people who was holding the envelope that was being handed to uh, Warren Basie I was taking a selfie with Emma Stone just before and got confused. And it just so happens that a few days before he was interviewed. Was it him specifically? Yeah. yeah. He, he was interviewed about what happens if there's a mix-up? Has that ever happened? And he was very confidently going, that's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> this is it. seems to be a lot of irony involved mm, in, all, yeah. in, in, the, in the book and on, in the facts. There's there is, so apart much. from the fact that Anna really 
beats us down whenever we say something's ironic and well, it's not ironic. The, the Alanis Morissette song has, you know, it's the yardstick <laughs> for things that yeah. aren't ironic. It is, yeah, and there is an irony entry, and it's just to irritate readers that, you know, there are a couple of things that are on the cusp, but there are definitely some great <laughs> irony facts. I think, um, so for instance, the fact that this year a Nottingham brewery failed to organise a piss up in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a museum of failure which became a huge success as yeah. well. But I remember that they had Heinz green ketchup. Do you and remember that? I do. I remember. I think because I think people thought it was an April's Fool mm. somewhere along the line, and I thought it was a kind of Proustian rush. When I was reading the book, I, oh, that green ketchup of my childhood came back. But yeah, that was another one that, that struck me. Uh, interesting mentioning April Fools. April Fools makes an appearance in the book, but in a bad way for an inventor who invented effectively what is an Iron Man suit and he can hover in it, and he says he can get up to, what, 280 miles an hour in it, although he's not tested it to that (laughs) speed yet. But because he released the press release something like the 29th of March, everyone was convinced that it was an April Fool's, (laughs) and so nothing happened. with Mm. They just read that and went, oh, that's obviously fake. And so, yeah, his big moment was was absolutely smashed. It's a weird assumption because April Fool's doesn't cover kind of the weeks before and after it. It's very specifically... In fact, it doesn't have to be pre-midday on the 1st of April. It's not like, oh, it's 29th of March. It's probably a joke. They probably thought they just leaked this a bit too early. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Christmas decorations going up earlier and earlier every year. (laughs) April Fool's are starting on the 29th of March now. (laughs) Do you read some of these facts and just think that can't be true? Especially when Dan sends it over. (laughs) When your mates down the pub send you an email and you think, no, I'm not sure about that. I reckon our first reaction usually is this probably isn't true. And that's why we do quite well on QI in general for getting things right because you've got 11 colleagues who are just trying to prove it wrong. And if all those guys can't prove it wrong, then it's probably right. Yeah, that's the yardstick. Yeah. So, yeah. Are there any that you've found um, that were false and then found that they were true again? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. That was a little bit of a switch. Bit of a, at bit the of end a bit of a tongue twister there. Yeah, <laughs> we've gone back and forth. Sometimes for the TV series, we'll take away points in a later series because the facts have changed. Yeah. Like the number of moons the Earth has is constantly changing. So that yeah. sometimes it has one and sometimes it doesn't have one moon, depending on the latest paper. Yeah. But I can't think of facts that have come true again, have gone back and forth. There was, for instance, one that I loved that isn't in this book. I think is true, but it sounds so unbelievable. It's got some reliable sources, but it sounds so weird that it's not in there. And it was that the Iraqi transport minister took control of an aeroplane mid-flight despite having no flying experience. He was just a passenger on a plane from Baghdad to Basra, and he marched into the cockpit and said, let me fly this plane, please. And uh, the pilot said yes, and he slammed it into the ground Everyone was fine, very freaked out, but okay. But apparently it was an unbelievably bad landing. And that was reported in the Iraqi news, but mm. I think we just thought, could this happen? It was like, ah. Oh. This is good, this is, it's bonus fact material. We're not yeah. giving away too much of the book. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking of something which uh, wasn't specifically true when we wrote the book, but is true now, mm-hmm. uh, which is that the country of Kazakhstan is listed under Q, because this is an A to Z book. Yeah. And we put it there because we thought that they would probably change the name to Kazakhstan with a Q, and that has happened. That happened two weeks ago yes. after we finished writing the book. It's a bit risky. 
it was a bit risky, yeah. 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 But it helped fill up the letter Q, which is quite a difficult one to <laughs> yeah. fill. In 2017, we've had our fair share of unbelievable characters. I'm sure you could have written an entire book about Trump, and he does mm. crop up in the book multiple times for one reason or another, which leads us on to the next object. Anna, what have you brought in to remind us of a, a Trump fact, please? Well, what I've brought in, and don't get the wrong idea, is a banana, but it's an unsliced banana specifically, and that is because uh, Trump's inauguration, unsliced bananas were denied entry. So, <laughs> rightly, <laughs> Rightly so. Absolutely. <laughs> they were considered a dangerous weapon, so you had to slice your banana up in order to get it in, and a few were turned away, and there were various things at the inauguration that were banned that were quite bizarre. So I think um, there were two cans of beef ravioli that were confiscated, non-collapsible umbrellas. So. <laughs> yeah, all these things could be very dangerous. Yeah, he comes up a lot, so there was the fact that Donald Trump has played more rounds of golf this year than Rory McIlroy, who obviously is a professional golfer, so James worked this out. Yeah. And, yeah, he's played more, more rounds of golf than your dad, whose life purpose is to play golf. My dad it? retired last year to play golf, and he's played less rounds than Donald Trump. <laughs> and Donald Trump, if we believe his scoring, might be the best 71- or 2-year-old golfer in the world because he claims that he shot 73 recently in very bad conditions. And the best player of his age is Hale Irwin, who's shooting around 73 on the tour at the moment. Interesting. So he might be missing his you know, calling in life. He does have his own golf courses. He does. We need yes. to find out if Rory McIlroy's got his own golf course. <laughs> yeah. He might be a professional, but come on. Yeah. Um, it's an unfair advantage, isn't it? We, let's change tack. Can you tell us how your podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, came about? We'll go to Dan came about because John Lloyd, who runs QI, wanted to start thinking of new ideas. He wanted to think of new ideas, so he brought someone in to have those ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I came in and uh, we'd thought of a bunch of different ideas, TV ideas and so on. And podcasting was starting to come up and I had a bunch of friends who were doing podcasting. And we sort of decided that that was a thing that might be interesting for us to do. And that, that was the first thought. And then I guess we started listening properly to the kind of conversations we were having in the office and realized, actually, the, the interesting thing is we when we sit at our desks, you do, if you find an amazing fact, you lean over and go, guys, and you stop the office and go, check this out, and you yell out the fact. And then someone will go, ah, oh, you should look into this because this, and like the, how the podcast is in conversation, that's how conversation is in the office generally. And... I produce Radio 4 shows, so I've done edits and I sort of, I guess, have an ear slightly for what an interesting conversation is that could work that's not an in-jokey conversation or, or a lazy conversation mm-hmm. that just is, goes on and on. So I thought, actually, OK, let's try this. And James and I sat down and sort of went through all sorts of different permutations of format for what it could become. And actually what it came down to was, what's the most interesting thing you found out this week? Let's- what it was interesting is we, we did ask some people for some um, ideas or questions, didn't yeah. we? And someone said, what is the fear of fairground rides called? or something like that. Oh, yeah. Ferris wheels. Ferris wheels, that's it. And so we just started talking about Ferris wheels and we talked about Ferris wheels for about half an hour and we listened <laughs> back to it and it was really funny. And we thought maybe all we need to do is just say, let's talk about Ferris wheels and see where that goes. Yeah. yeah. So we finally had a show after about doing 40 different pilots of it mm-hmm. and I ended up doing this edit of, of just the best bits. So the, the first episode, the pilot episode, is a compilation of the first 40 episodes, basically. And um, we weren't sure if it was good 
good. The quality was terrible. We were recording on a one microphone in the room because we were trying to do it as a normal show. At the end of it, I said, at the top, rather, I said a weekly podcast in the intro and we put it out. James, sort of very subtly, because he didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter at that time, tweeted it just saying, just tried this thing. And a few days later, it suddenly racked up about 300 or 400 listens and people writing to us going, okay, looking forward to next week's episode. (laughs) So it kind of started by mistake. We would have, I think, done it anyway, but it genuinely went online as a... But that was was a pilot, wasn't it, that went up, really? That wasn't supposed to be the first episode. We were supposed to see what people think and then we'll do a proper episode. And then we just had to rush out the second episode (laughs) as quickly as we could. And that was one of the funniest ones we ever did. And that was 190 weeks ago. (laughs) And we haven't missed one yet. (laughs) James, what's the next object you've brought for us, Can I just, before we we do that. Can I, does anyone mind if I eat my banana? Absolutely. Really hungry. As long as yeah. it doesn't doesn't munch too hard I won't for the make listeners. Any noise. Right. So, so while, while while Anna eats one of the objects that we have chosen today, <laughs> I believe this it looks it looks to me like a team sheet. As a, as a football fan, yes. I can see a shirt with lots of names, eleven names and substitutes on either side of it. What's, yes. What's it all about? So this is about a big story from the year, which seems like a long time ago, which is the British general election, and there were loads of characters in there, and uh, not least Paul Nuttall who everyone kind of thought was telling lies about a lot of things. (laughs) But this is absolute proof that he did once play for the Tranmere Rovers reserve team. Really? Yeah, he once said that he played for Tranmere Rovers on his website and then that turned out not to be true. And then he kind of backtracked and said, well, I was in the reserves, I was in the youth team, I was in the youth team. And so I went online as the researcher I am and thought, I wonder if he did. And so I went into all of the history of Tranmere Rovers uh, games uh, when he will have been the right age to play for the youth team. And I looked at all the team sheets because you can buy a lot of them online. A lot of um, collectors have them. And I found one where he was a substitute and it's Tranmere Rovers versus Burnley in the first round proper of the FA Youth Cup. And seeing as this was such an important piece of history... I thought I would buy it. It cost me <laughs> 50p uh, and it came and I've got it right here. And um, then he sort of disappeared, never to be seen again. So <laughs> if he'd have become prime minister, this could have been worth thousands and thousands of pounds. But as it is, it's just a photocopy of a team sheet. You it's know, good enough it's for not, me. It's not too late for him. Yeah. Well, I think it might be. Um, he's not had a great year, has he? I think he was in the election in a certain place. He wasn't even allowed to vote for himself. Yeah, he wasn't registered, was he? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a o- bit of an oversight. This is a real piece of history, guys. <laughs> this is another thing that James does quite a lot of, is proper first-hand research. So often we just read the papers and we read magazines and things. But, for example, the very first article in the book is about an aardvark receiving mouth-to-mouth at the zoo. <laughs> mouth-to-snout. I'm sorry, mouth-to-snout. <laughs> You know, and we would have all read that. But James wrote to the zoo, which was in Poland, by the way, and got a first-hand account of the giving of mouth to snout to <laughs> an aardvark. And that kicks off the whole book. And that, I think that's something that, as a researcher, is so satisfying yeah. to get. Cause it's, we've I think been... we all do that, actually, in fairness. Yeah. And it is fun to get verification, however true you know something is, when an actual human says to you, yes, you know, I work in this industry and I've seen this myself. It's quite exciting. Yeah. The most recent one of those that I had where I reached out to someone was I found out that Mo Farah had only one Guinness World Record and it was in the 100 metre sack race. And then I also found out there was a guy who was going to try and beat it called Stephen Wildish. And I wrote to Stephen Wildish and he, he sent me a video that he beat the record last weekend. So Mo Farah now has no Guinness World Records. 
gutted. And he's <laughs> going to be gutted. You're going to have to talk to a lot more of these people because there's quite a few stories in the book which touch on AI and driverless cars and, you know, facial recognition technology. There's one story about some toilet paper. Mm. Can, can somebody elaborate on that, for example? Yeah, that's a, um, the Temple of Heaven, I think, in Beijing, where it turned out that people have been stealing toilet roll or been using too much toilet roll and they wanted to clamp down on this. So they installed a facial recognition robot in the <laughs> bathrooms at this temple and you have to stare at it for, I think it's eight seconds you have to stare at it for a really long time. It looks at your face and says, yeah, OK, that's a person. It spits out a couple of feet of loo roll and you use that and then you have to wait another nine minutes before you're allowed to get some more loo roll. So, and you have to go out of the cubicle yeah, exactly. more loo roll. Waddling out. Yeah, that's not... I can't imagine. I can't imagine that being very healthy for anybody, really. Yeah. How uh, embarrassing when you walk out and everyone knows that you're going for a second batch yeah. of toilet roll. <laughs> oh, a big one, mate. It wasn't the only bit of toilet roll news, was it? Oh yeah, well, yeah. We we found out this year. Um, uh, there was a tweet that was sent out by um, what's his name again? Jonathan Agnew. Jonathan Agnew Aggers uh, saying. Would the person who's been posting me a single sheet of used toilet paper, <laughs> soiled toilet paper, um, please address it properly? And he'd just been given an OBE and they'd been leaving that off. Sent the tweet out and then suddenly he got a tweet back from Gary Lineker who said, by any chance, do you know if that mail has a, a, address, a stamped address from Bath? And he said, yes. How do you know that? And Gary Lineker said, for the last 20 years, every <laughs> month, I have been receiving a single sheet of used toilet roll in the mail. And it's a mystery that no one has yet solved. And <laughs> I mean, I want to get in touch with Gary and uh, Jonathan to sort of do some personal investigating. Yeah. That would be my first hand kind of research <laughs> that I'd like to get involved in. But yeah, yeah, there's quite a few bits of toilet paper news. It's full of so many bite-sized facts. Is that something that you feel is... Uh, I guess, uh, indicative of the age that we live in? Because um, mm. obviously people love QI. It's been going for so long now. Um, do you feel, I mean, as I say, I've been trying to read it and absorb it. And you, you are, I, I thought I, I hadn't retained anything, but obviously having this conversation with you now, I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah, the toilet paper thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And Iraq importing oil from Huddersfield mm, uh, yeah. um, and that kind of strange facts like that. Um, I'm so excited that you have <laughs> like retain, read and retained because that's yeah. the nice thing about these facts is that you do remember them because they are interesting enough, right? And it's, yeah, yeah, your brain wants to hold on to them. Yeah, yeah do think you think that's part of the age that we live in? Because, you know, tweets, for example, people communicate in bite-size dispatches. I think that what we always try and do is make these um, these one-liners kind of funny or interesting or with a little bit of a spin with the hope that because of that you remember it and then hopefully you'll remember some other bits of the story. So there's one fact in here that I think, was it 2000? Uh, bees were stolen from the town of Beesden. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and so that's just a silly thing that you might remember because of the bee thing. <laughs> but um, actually it's more important and it's the fact that bees are dying out and so they become more expensive because there's so few of them and it means that thieves want to buy it. So, you know, there's kind of a nice little story behind it, but really you're just going to remember the bees done thing. <laughs> well, it's, it's something that I, I noticed because of a lot of climate change things or environmental changes, they contribute to facts you know the the uh, fact mm. will arise because that something strange has gone on with the weather and uh, uh, along with 
the f- sort of foreboding figure of Donald Trump was also personally just maybe it's just because that's something that I'm interested in but throughout the book I was thinking even though there's clearly it's not a political book and it doesn't really have any stance on the world it's 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 more about entertainment I felt slightly disturbed because there was there were a lot of facts that were related to the yeah. change of our in, of our world. Yeah, absolutely. It's like what they hint at underneath, isn't it? Like you know the fact that um, they're I think they're covering the Antarctic with blankets, aren't they? Oh, glaciers. Uh, they're covering glaciers yes. with blankets to stop them melting. And yeah, it's kind of funny, but it does give you a feeling of unease of oh, this is the top layer of some really serious stuff. But hopefully, as James says, uh, these bite-sized nuggety facts are not just for their own sake. They are to give you a bit of a window into these bigger, more important things. What could be more important than the Loch Ness Monster? Dan, it's your <laughs> turn for an object. What, what, what have you brought us? I'll just grab my phone because the photo's on here. Sorry. Here we go. It's, it's coming from across the room in the studio. It's Loch Ness Monster related. I wasn't just throwing that in there. <laughs> for, for, for all those Loch Ness Monster fans out there. So I've brought in a photo of a sample of Loch Ness water that I collected on the 26th of August 2014. And the reason I brought it in is we read a fact this year that in New Zealand there is a scientist called Neil Gemmell. And Neil Gemmell is going next year, he announced it this year, he's going to be going to Loch Ness to look for Nessie's dandruff basically, which is a new take on how to find the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> I didn't Most... know he had hair. Or do you need hair to have dandruff? No, I think it's a flaky skin. Okay. So, yeah, so it's just flaky skin. And uh, most people look for the full Loch Ness Monster. Sure. He just he just wants the little flakes. <laughs> There's serious science behind it, which is this thing called eDNA. And eDNA is the idea that you can sample bits of water of uh, a body of a lake or a river. And within that, so much debris from an animal, be it skin flakes or, I guess, uh, feces or, or urine, stuff will be captured in this one bit of water. And you can actually monitor how the species is doing within that body of water by resampling and resampling. It's this amazing thing. So you can start hunting animals in the space of a bottle of water. When I collected this bottle of water at Loch Ness, when I visited there, I closed the lid and I was on my way home and I was looking in it and there was all these little tiny flakes inside and I kept thinking, what is that? Is it something really disgusting? Is it like, is it a, a bit of fish? What, what's going on? And so potentially what I have in my house is within this bottle the discovery of the Loch Ness Monster. Mm, um, potentially. Yeah, yeah, like, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Well, yeah. Something like, you know, it's, it's 50-50 at this point, right? Um, <laughs> something really nice has happened off the back of this. I've got a tweet from Neil Gemmell himself, the New Zealand scientist, who I should say doesn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. He's actually using it as a bit of publicity to raise the awareness of eDNA, this new way of monitoring wildlife. Yeah. Um, and he's saying to me, why don't we now go to Loch Ness together and make a documentary about this? I might one day discover the actual Loch Ness Monster. Oh, wow. That yeah. is really exciting. Yeah, thank you. It's 50-50 at this stage. <laughs> it's 50-50, yeah. 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 It's and like Schrodinger's cat. I think you need to leave it without investigating any further so it could be there and it could not be there. Oh, so is it? Is it in the bottle or is it not in yeah. the bottle? Yeah, because I think yeah. when you open that bottle, Dan, it's just a bit of dirt from the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder how many journalists and documentary makers he's approached and then he read what you wrote in the book. He's like, this is my man. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the fool that I need. <laughs> <laughs> the book doesn't have much in terms of cryptozoology, but I have a personal fascination with it. I personally don't believe in any of the stuff. I do love, though, that the culture of people who do believe it, um, because they are searching for the unknown and yeah. they are chasing 
uh, sightings in various different places where we haven't discovered everything. And many explorers often take the lead of people who've sighted things that they think might be a Bigfoot or, or, a, um, or a big black panther or a mystery cat, as they call them, or a thunderbird. And they do discover new species because most likely the people who live in these communities are actually aware of the local wildlife and have seen something a bit different. So species thought to be extinct have been rediscovered off the back of the search for what was yeah. thought to be a yeti, for example, and turned out to be a new type of gorilla or a new type of elephant that they thought were extinct. So, yeah, that's my fascination with it. Also, it's just hilarious stuff to read about, <laughs> uh, Bigfoot and so on. Andy, you found a great one, which is in our cryptozoology section. Yeah, there was an American man who swore that he had found Bigfoot. Very exciting. He's part of a Bigfoot hunting group on Facebook. And they go out uh, with their weekends and they look for Bigfoot. And this year they found something only to learn that it was actually not Bigfoot they found. It was a local shaman who had dressed (laughs) in what he thought was a Bigfoot costume and was wandering around the woods pretending to be Bigfoot, also to lure Bigfoot. He, he came forward and announced that, and the original group said, no, 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 it definitely wasn't him we saw. No, there are lots of animals in the book. Not, oh, obviously, yeah. we're talking about animals yeah. that may or may not be real, mm. um, but there are, there's boars, wild boars. There's, there's two, at least two wild boar stories. Could you, could you yeah. elaborate on that? It was a big year for boars, wasn't it, Andy? Huge. And this is Andy's favourite article in the book, because <laughs> he couldn't believe the abundance he of boar news. He's a boar on boars. I'm a boar. <laughs> They are they're a radioactive boar in Fukushima, which are completely overrunning the place. The British ambassador to Austria was chased by a wild boar in the woods. Mm-hmm. And Texas have just changed their law to allow hunters to shoot wild boar from hot air balloons, which previously was not allowed due to some terrible oversight, um, <laughs> because they have a massive problem with wild boar, and they call it the hog apocalypse in the state. It sounds like a, an album by a really dodgy sort of Americana, Americana punky band. Like the Misfits or something. Yeah, it's like Hog Apocalypse. <laughs> but it's happening. It's real. It's real, yeah. You read a great one about dragonflies in the book, Anna. It was found this year that female dragonflies fake their own deaths in order to avoid male attention. Uh, Understandable. I know. I can't believe we didn't know it before. But they do a properly good job. So if a man they don't want to uh, make Not with, a mum. Sorry. <laughs> Very few men go for dragonflies. If a male dragonfly they don't want to mate with starts flying at them, then they just plummet headfirst into the ground, and, like smash into it, and then they'll flip over and they'll have legs in the air and remain completely motionless until the male dragonfly flies away, which he does about 80% of the time, <laughs> and then the other 20% of the time, he, that, he doesn't let that put him off. Do you ever get fact fatigue from all these facts? You get into just, ah, oh, too many facts. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes you get into a rut where you just can't find anything mm. interesting and you spend a couple of hours getting so frustrated, but as soon as you find something, great. Yeah. You know, it's great. Especially if you're up against time pressure, that's yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. So every week we do the podcast and we have to get the facts in by a certain day. Yeah. And if you're an hour away from that deadline and you haven't found anything, that is that's hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The really wonderful thing, though, that you often don't notice when you say, like Andy's saying, reading through a book and there's only two bits of gold in it, but you're desperately searching, is that you finally find that fact and you think, OK, fantastic, and you bring it to the table. And then you realise you've accidentally um, taken in the rest of the book into your head and you've suddenly a slight, for at least that brief half-hour period after when you take it to the table, an expert on the subject, as it were, because you've just read that whole thing. Um, that happens to me a lot. I suddenly well, just... I like the implication 
implication there that maybe a day later you've just forgotten everything. Oh, no, yeah, I don't remember a single <laughs> thing that we've spoken about on the podcast in any detail. It's, it's, we, we should finish. We should, we should finish uh, then. We should, just, <laughs> uh, we should move towards our final object. What we have here, listeners, there's a, a bottle of a certain liquid that people enjoy on a semi-regular basis, depending on how affluent you are. Um, and uh, you, you will find out from the noise exactly what we have as our final object here on the yeah. Penguin podcast. Anna is opening the bottle. I'm really sorry if this takes anyone's eye out. Yeah, watch out. It's not just a bottle of champagne. It's a bottle of champagne and a pint glass, so we now have a pint of champagne. Mm-hmm. Why have you chosen a pint of champagne? Yeah, Anna. It's her rider. I just... <laughs> it was what I require. It is a rider of someone, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It was a rider of Charles Dickens, in fact, wasn't it? So in the 19th century, Charles Dickens used to go around doing shows. Um, he did a lot of performances. He used to, to do readings of his books. Yeah. And he was also a mesmerist. And so he used to hypnotise his wife on stage and stuff as his party trick. And he always had a pint of champagne before going on stage because... It inspired him. But the reason we've done, we've chosen this for us specifically is that we did try to do this once on one of our first live yeah. shows. So we, Dan and I <laughs> drank a pint of champagne each before going on stage. And I think it was a roaring success, I'm well, told. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> James and I were there also there, not with the pint of champagne inside us. I edited that podcast and you could hear the exact moment that that champagne hit Anna. <laughs> <laughs> it was about 40 minutes in and suddenly it was all over. Oh, that um, was great. It reminds me of that time, Dan, when we did a live show and you put a polo up your nose do you remember oh, that's that? right. yeah, yeah. And yeah please explain <laughs> so we'd read an article about how long it takes a polo to dissolve in your nose mm-hmm. and it was a scientific thing so that they can check children if children put things up their noses how long is it worth getting it out or can you just leave it and will it dissolve and so dan ever the scientist decided <laughs> to try it on stage <laughs> and it didn't right didn't no, prop- it's still there it's still it's still in there um yeah, you've got That's, something wrong with your snot. It's not corrosive enough. Yeah, and it um, it came out at the end, and uh, and I ate it, which kind of put off the audience <laughs> a bit. But yeah. well, apparently, picking your nose is not such a, a terrible thing these days, as I was reading in your book. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Can you remember the details of that? They're currently turning it into a toothpaste because it turns out that the, I think it's the bacteria in it and the mucus is just, it's very good for you. Yeah. It's, it's good for your immune system, It's good for your immune it? system, and yeah. it stops things from sticking to your teeth, I think. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Do you think the entertainment for those curious to expand their IQs is on the rise? There's lots of interest in... Professor Brian Cox and TED Talks yeah. and that kind of thing. And obviously QI's been going for 14 years now. And mm. do you think it's, it's, a, it's still on the rise? It's a thing that's going to continue yeah, to expand? It could be. I think you could kind of look at it one way that everyone thinks that the world's full of fake news and maybe people are kind of rebelling against that and want to hear things that, you know, at least, I don't want to say 100% are true, but, you know, <laughs> are as 100% as possible as being true. But we go around on tour and I think this champagne thing is kind of indicative of our touring thing because you know on one of our first ever shows we had this pint of champagne and we tour around the country and we meet so many people who just 
they listen every week. It's part of their routine. They love facts. They're massive dorks like we are. And mm. Yeah, do- dorkism and nerdism has definitely become cool and it's definitely on the rise still. And I think... Well, cool is a very strong <laughs> word. <laughs> it's, become, it's become acceptable. <laughs> You're allowed to go to parties now. You're not supposed to stay very long, but you can show your face. And so I think, yeah, that's helped. That's definitely on the rise. And maybe because of social media, because like people can connect with each other where they couldn't before, yeah. outside of just their class at school where they get bullied or the the one SWAT. So, yeah. I think it peaked three years ago, personally. Yeah, Just before we started. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. just before we started. I do think that if you're using Brian Cox as a bar for how it took over suddenly out of nowhere, I think that his popularity about three years ago really was you couldn't get away from science. And Mm -hmm. you, it really felt like a happening thing. And as as they're saying now, what I think is it's leveled and everyone is realizing there is an inner dork and an inner geek in there. And it's kind of, it's more of a, it's more of a day to day thing now rather than being like, whoa, who is, who, what is science? What is this (laughs) amazing Carl Sagan like character that we've never heard from before? And Attenborough managed to do that all those years ago for the natural history world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and comic cons and all that stuff. It's all so regular now, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's, it's really... It's, it's really nice being able to do the podcast because everyone who listens is as interested as we are in facts. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes think it feels like we are, you know, we happen to be the secretariat of a club that so many people are enjoying and being members of and we get to go around meeting the rest of the club basically yeah. 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 people tell us so many facts at shows we get amazing facts from the audiences uh, things you know that we might never have found otherwise yeah. Well, what was it? So we got a fact once by someone who we later went on to employ and who now does a lot of our tweeting for us and a lot of our research. So we we do this thing sometimes in live shows where we ask the audiences to bring their own facts because, like Andy says, so many of our fans know so much interesting stuff and are super curious and want to share the things that they know. And so they put their facts in a hat and we pick them up and read them out. And this one girl found the fact that once a year, every year at New Year, Cary Grant and Clark Gable used to meet straight after Christmas to exchange monogrammed Christmas gifts. <laughs> They'd all get together with their CG monogrammed gifts and then swap. That's yeah. incredible. What's next? Obviously, we've got the book, which is out now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, Andy I'm, is, is brandishing an Oscar. <laughs> I think it has to be Fish the Movie. You heard it here first, Penguin Podcast <laughs> listeners. Fish the Movie. Uh, next, we're going to Australia, aren't we? We, we are. are. Wow. We're playing the Sydney Opera House, uh, the main room of the Sydney Opera House. I'm from Sydney. This is the biggest thing that will ever happen in my life. And I just had a kid. Um, <laughs> Enjoy yourself, not just with your child, but also in Australia. We've had a, a very interesting, fact-filled 45 minutes or so. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks uh, to Dan, to Anna, to Andy and James. This is the Penguin Podcast keep tuning in follow us on twitter at penguin uk books and join us on facebook to see pictures of all the objects we've chatted about today and to see who else will be joining me in the penguin studio soon goodbye believe me by eddie Izzard. irreverent poignant and truly unique eddie Izzard's autobiography is unlike anything you've heard before his unforgettable narration weaves through his childhood, losing his mother at a young age to setting out as the person we know him as today, with occasional digressions. So, self-belief is central to what I have done, and that probably applies to anyone whose life could be deemed unusual. But I do also know self-belief can be used in a good or a bad way. It's a very interesting point. Some people with tremendous self-belief are complete 
psychotic mass murdering bastards, right? Because you've got a Lincoln and you've got a, this is again a footnote here, you've got a Lincoln, you've got Mandela, you've got uh, Mohandas Gandhi, you know, good-hearted people going forward, Mother Teresa, you know, men, women, come on, let's do it, let's build it, let's make it. And then you've got these psychotic mass murdering bastards and hellish warlordy type people, murdery, killy, so who still exist in the world, who go on and they're obviously driven people. So, so bear that in mind. So, if you have a negative heart, if a negative, bleh, no conscience, maybe you lack the empathy gene. Empathy could be a genetic. So if you do lack this, then please don't read this book. Don't listen to this book. But if you have a positive heart, then please do read this book or listen to this book because I have worked out certain things in life. I think there are certain patterns to the way human beings behave. And I believe if you have analysis in one hand and instinct in the other hand, you can go a long way and you can live a life that is truly memorable. Anyway, have a read or have a listen. Here we go. Believe Me, written and narrated by Eddie Izzard, is available now to download and own from Audible and iTunes.